Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. This is Talker Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. We will react to that game against Aston Villa on Sunday, but we've got more immediate matters at hand at the start of this podcast. We are going to react live to the Europa League knockout playoff draw, which is taking place as we speak. We're all very excited for this. Andy Mitten is with us over in Barcelona. Carl Anker is with us as well in Manchester. And we've also got a special appearance at the start of this podcast from our friend Laurie Whitwell, who is in Holland in a place that he's calling Dammy, I believe. Is that right? Is that what you've you've, you've nicknamed it, Laurie? Oh, Dammy. <laughs> I was really, I had to figure out what you were going at there. Right, yeah, Dammy. I like it. Should we get it started? Well, I um, don't know. Maybe you need like backup from Bugsy Malone or H or someone like that <laughs> to claim it's cool. Listen, Ian, just because you're not with the kids anymore, you kind of pass that generation where you can kind of associate with the, the current linguistics of the of the cool crowd. Listen, don't, don't need to get all aggy. You know you're older than me, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, I'll tell you what, though, the highlight, this will entertain some of the devil's listeners, the highlight so far has been my, and you'll like this, Andy, uh, wasabi salt-rimmed margarita that I got in a Paris... Paris restaurant it was absolutely spot on right we're going to sit back then pour ourselves a drink and see who Manchester United get here we go FC Barcelona path in the Europa League starts now against this opponent Manchester United Against uh, Manchester United, uh, this is a gala match for Manchester United uh, uh, the are playing League. FC so Barcelona. Have, uh, this this really? is live, we're doing wow. this. Frankie de Jong, wow. we knew it was happening. Wow. <laughs> Andy, your immediate um, reaction. <laughs> buzzing but gutted because I wanted it to be the final. <laughs> and I just, I just, I'm going to switch my phone off now because I'm going to get absolutely peppered. <laughs> Um, they're a decent team, but I do think Manchester United should be able to overcome them. But they are—they're probably the best two teams in the competition. And I know they had a disappointing and unlucky uh, Champions League group, but they're also in a very hard group stage. I've watched every Barca game this season, apart from one. I actually, beat a there. <laughs> No, I can't, I can't either. On Barcelona, that, that, it's just. Are we calling this it? the? Uh, are we calling no. this the Andy Mitten dog? No. <laughs> I, I think. Um, I think we can. I think <laughs> on a more serious note, Barcelona need to avoid what they did last time in 2019, where they charged 119 euros for tickets um, for Manchester United fans. I mean, it's a, it's a great away day for for Manchester United fans. It's a great city. It'll be cold in 
in February when the games are played, but Manchester United against Barcelona. People are conspiring to form European Super Leagues off these type of fixtures. They don't expect them to be happening in the playoffs in the Europa League. They don't expect it to be a Europa League knockout playoff. Uh, the last 24 we worked out before of the competition. Carl, I mean, if United needed any warning that they really should have finished top of the group, this is it, isn't it, really? That they'll be particularly annoyed at not getting that second goal in Sociedad, or at Sociedad, Real Sociedad. Sorry, Andy. There it is. Uh, I think after, so after the West Ham game, before we start recording, I said to you, Ian, ah, oh, there's not, there's not really a team in the in the Europa League that I'm particularly afraid of, like dropping out down. I'm particularly afraid of. And, How'd you uh, like me now? Yeah, yeah, I should probably start eating some humble pie. Barcelona have have the firepower, and I don't know, I'm, I don't know how many extra economic levers they can pull in January, but I wouldn't be surprised if something else now happens. Uh, now that Mr. Piquet's salary might be off the books. Or something rather like that. It'll be fun. It'll be exciting. Uh, I'm, I'm ever so slightly jealous that Andy will only have to get on a short tram to go watch this. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's speak to our Dutch correspondent then. Um, Laurie Ajax are not out of the the hat. What are we calling it? Out of the hat just yet. They're not hats, are they? But you know what I mean. Um, they'll be relieved that they're not playing Manchester United, I'm sure, because everything Eric Ten Hag related would have been quite a talking point for them over there and here. Yeah, yeah, and his successor, Alfred Schroeder, is under real pressure. Um, there's some suggestion that his job might be under threat after that defeat against PSV. Like, you know, the, the big games that they played this season, they've, they've lost. Um, so, yeah, if, if the club against Man United at this point, I think they would have been biting the fingernails. So, yeah, I guess they're relieved in that sense. Uh, I'm just at the training ground now. Can you see it in the background on the, on your it's Zoom? Beautiful. Sorry, listeners, I know you can't, but it's... You can see the, the stadium and the training ground all within uh, one eye shot. Looks like a carpet. Um, but yeah, Barcelona, it is. It's, it's, I mean, this is just the training ground pitch and it's um, it, it's pretty smooth. It's got a little little stadium. This is kind of what you'd hope if Old Trafford does get redeveloped properly. It's so close to it. You can you can sort of see the stadium in the background where you'd think that the younger players are here. Uh, and, and I'm here to interview John Heitinger, who's the uh, head coach of Young Ajax, the, the under-21s team. Uh, you can see the stadium in the background. So that's a kind of inspiration for you. You, you hear you know, uh, on the training pitch and then that's the ultimate aim. Yeah, Ajax have just come out of the hat actually. So you can go and tell Johnny uh, that the team they are going to be playing in the playoffs for the knockouts of the Europa League is Zoltan Guerra is unscrewing the ball. They're going to be taking on FC Union Berlin. Oh. So that's an interesting draw as well. That's fun. Yeah. One of the stories of the season, aren't they, yeah, Union Berlin? Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's a tough game for Ajax, to be fair, isn't it? Or Union, Union. We'll have to get that perfected for when United play them in the last 16 when they knock exactly, out Barcelona. Exactly, I was just going to say Andy. that. Once United have beaten Barcelona home and away, and I really hope that happens, sorry, I'll be objective again as a journalist, Union Berlin away, or Union or whatever, their ground is three-quarters terracing. It's in the middle of a woods on the old eastern side of Berlin. So there's some really good teams still left in this competition. Just behind your hair lorries, where Anthony used to live, by the way, in Amstelveen. That's where he was living, close to the training ground. And Arnold Muren, who was a great player for United oh, wow. in the 80s, he was working at the, in the building just behind you up until, I'm not, I'm pretty sure he's retired now, but he was a wonderful footballer. And it's it's a really good uh, training centre, as you know, uh, being there. Well, they've been very welcoming with us, Ajax. Uh, you know, we got in touch with them a few weeks ago to say this is our kind of mad idea that we're going to do this journey. Amsterdam is a, is a good point to kind of check off on, on the way and, and the fact that they had 
actually PSV as a game. Big derby, although there were no PSV fans there yesterday. Um, they've been barred because of uh, some anti-Semitic chanting that happened in July and also they, they kind of wrecked parts of the ground. Um, and so, you know, it was a kind of weird atmosphere really when they scored their two goals. But the Ajax have opened their doors to us. We're here, as I say, at the training ground today. Yesterday before the game, for a big game, we got, you know, half an hour with Edwin van der Sar, which is, is pretty unusual, we're told. Um, but I think he, you know, hopefully appreciated the effort we were going to by sort of travelling across Europe and then over to Qatar. But also, um, I think he, I think he likes what we do with the Athletic and he was really interesting as a, you know, both on football terms, his former playing days, but also the current setup at Ajax and then clearly the negotiation with Manchester United. Um, thoughts on Qatar and Jenny Infantino's letter that he's, he's written to um, all the foundations to say, you know, please concentrate on the football. You know, that's a, a kind of interesting topic of discussion for sure. Um, but yeah, then he then he had to go off and, and have a meeting with the Minister for Safety and Justice uh, after us. So similar kind of vibes, sure. I think. <laughs> what did he have to say about Manchester United then, the negotiations? He's been linked constantly with having a job over here as well. I guess you asked him about that. Yeah, I did ultimately. I, I know that it's, it might get a bit frustrating for him to be asked that kind of stuff, but it felt natural in the conversation that we had. You know, we were talking about Anthony and Lisandro Martinez and how they'd scouted them and taken a risk on them. And then, you know, ultimately getting a really good price for both of them. I mean, the, the fees that they sold them for combined, you know, more it tops what they make in annual revenue usually. Um, and he was speaking about that, you know, Alex's place in the food chain. There's obviously a little bit of sadness there where they can't necessarily keep hold of all the players. I think they recognise that. But if they can spot players ahead of time and then at least you know get good value for them, they kind of appreciate that that's currently the status quo. Um, but yeah, I did ask him about his, his future. Um, and I, I, he, was, he was diplomatic on it. But I mean, I'll, I'll save the full quotes for when the, the piece comes out. But if I can tease you like that. But it was uh, we, we covered a lot of subjects and he was a really warm presence. Um, I, I liked how we started the... Uh, the, the interview, he um, Martino, our cameraman, sort of just said, are you ready, Edwin? And he went, yeah, and kind of did a, a kind of hand, sh- hand symbol with his fingers. And it was just very relaxed. It was it was kind of incongruous, really. You know, they've got this big match on uh, that's taking place. But he, it, it just, I don't know, he gave his time. It, it felt nice. You know, they say never meet your heroes. And he was somebody that in 2008 won United the Champions League. We asked him about that and, and the save and how it works in penalty shootouts. He's not always had the best of luck in penalty shootouts, but... Clearly, there'll be a feature at the World Cup coming up. Um, and, you know, I told him that my dad was in the stands in the Luznicki Stadium screaming at John Terry to uh, to slip or miss or whatever. So he's, he's trying to claim some credit for that. Edwin van der Sar said, I didn't hear any any shouts. Of that. It was all, <laughs> all me, uh, you know, which is fair enough. Um, but it, it, was, it, it, it was just nice. It was it was a, a warm experience and clearly a very smart guy, you know, a shrewd operator for sure. You know, he's, he's on the ECA board, which is... The, the kind of association of clubs that have you know good weight in in the football community, so he he can push back over certain issues in football that uh, you know are, are to be debated. Um, but yeah, it's a really enlightening half an hour. So hopefully, the piece that we do after the end of it reflects that. Laurie, you did watch Ajax versus PSV. There's been a lot of chatter among the Manchester United fan base about uh, a certain Mr. Cody Gakpo. What's he like up close in real life? Yeah, I was impressed by him. Um, he wasn't involved. It wasn't like he was taking touches of the ball all the time, but a bit like Erling Haaland for Man City. I know it's a big comparison, but when he did get the ball, he did stuff with it. So he would often be the out ball for PSV. They kind of sat back to begin with, and Ajax weren't really doing much with the possession, but you know PSV were kind of pretty relaxed in a kind of low block. And But he was the out ball on the wing, on the left, 
would cut inside a lot and, and skip past players and then they foul him, basically. Um, he put the ball in for the Luke de Jong goal, uh, a really good cross from the left. He kind of cut inside and whipped it in. And then he also did one from the right that really should have got a goal as well. Real pace and good trajectory to it. Um, just looks strong, looks smart, you know, makes the right decisions when he's got the ball. Um, so, yeah, I was really impressed by him. Do you think there's room for him, Carl? The, pro- the problem is, you know, they were sort of queuing up to play on the left wing at the weekend, despite there was already two left wingers on the sidelines. We'll talk about Villa in a moment. But I have no idea where you'd put Gakpo now. Gakpo's best position is on the left wing, and he's... I've written on a piece with, with Phil Hay, and, and that's on the FA you can check out. And, and I'm going to reveal I've done a video on him that will be out probably before the World Cup on him as well. Uh, ah, it's one of your it is indeed. Ones, I'm all over the tactics board and whatnot. Yes. Um, he, yeah. He's a really interesting player in that he's he's playing on the left for PSV at the moment. But I think when the World Cup runs comes along, he'll be playing as a number 10 behind uh, Memphis Depay and Steven Bergwijn. There's been a bit of chat conversation about whether or not he can be converted as a number nine. But I don't think that's his best position. I can absolutely see why Ten Hag was interested in in the summer. I can also see why partway through Ten Hag went, nah, I've got to go get Anthony instead. Well, it was it was ultimately the finance, wasn't it? Because they actually agreed personal terms with Gakpo. Um, I think PSV were aware of the fact that this might be a situation. So, and they allowed sort of talks to take place with, with, with the agents, obviously. Um, but ultimately, it became a situation where United paid, obviously, more than they anticipated for Anthony. And this is one of the questions I asked Edwin van der Sar about, you know, what did the negotiations go like there? Um, and then they decided, well, we can't afford both of them. So it will be interesting, won't it, if, if he kind of dips back in. I don't know what you guys think, whether United should go back in for him. He's obviously priced maybe a bit more after the World Cup, but contract situation maybe I think if United that. are going to go, I've said this, I've hinted at this before, but if United are going to go shopping in PSV, there might be another player who uh, would be well suited to... Sl- to sl- well, you, you tell me. You've just seen him. <laughs> yeah, he was good. I was impressed. That's the first time I'd seen him live, obviously, as, as well as Cody Gakpo. But I'd seen him against Arsenal and he looked like a really smart player. And a, a, but everything he did seemed to have a purpose to it. So, yeah, I, I was impressed Which, by Which uh, IX player will Manchester United be paying £70 million for next summer, <laughs> Laurie? And, and and do you think that Luke de Jong or Luke de Gaulle, who used to come on for five minutes at the end of Barcelona games and score every single time, and the fans mocked oh, right. him so much when he signed uh, from Sevilla, now he's at PSV and he's doing well. wonder whether Luke de Jong will get a game for Manchester United at the moment, given the shortage of goals up front. Well... Well, I will say this. I know that we're sort of debating the merits of a certain striker of a of a thirty odd year old age, whether his mobility is enough. He's got Ronaldo's got more mobility than Luke De Jong. I'm not going <laughs> to. You know, I know he scored yesterday, but there was a there was a foot race between Calvin Bassey and, and De Jong, and I just it was it, it could have been one on one on one with the goalkeeper, and it, it wasn't uh, you know a, a speedy encounter. Let's just say that. But he put himself about. He, he knew what he had to do for the team. Uh, held it up well, and you know he, he came off. Having done a good job, uh, and I'll tell you one, one more thing before I have to go because uh, the Heitinger interview—they're sort of shuffling around sofas. I think I'm going to have to go in in a second. But um, uh, Reid van Nistelrooy on, on the in the technical dugout, you know, from one centre forward to another, uh, he he would not stay in his area. He would kind of come out, uh, pointing, gesticulating, very much emotional, emotionally involved in the game, in, instructing his players specifically what, with what he wanted them to do. Um, yeah, so I, I, I'd be intrigued to see how his career goes. I know you've written a piece on him, haven't you, Andy, already um, about him as a manager? Did he stand just outside his technical area until the ball was kicked and then quickly <laughs> went back into it? <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, well, he did actually. He got a, a finally Alfred Schroeder sort of complained about it, and then the fourth official kind of had a word, and he sort of became a bit a little bit more reserved. But and actually, when they scored, he, there was no response whatsoever from him. He scored two goals, and, and it was actually the opposite. So. Kind of an interesting watch, just, just having a look at Ruud van Nistelrooy down below. Of course, you can keep up to date with Laurie's uh, weird and wonderful trip to Qatar for the World Cup on The Athletic at the minute. But Laurie, before you go, just give us an update on uh, where you're at, where you're going to and, and how you've enjoyed it so far. Yeah, it's been great. Um, we've, we've got really lucky, I feel like, with certain bits that we've done, like in Paris when we met um, a guy who used to be coached by Kylian Mbappe's dad. Um, who could speak, you know, about Kylian Mbappe as a player? Re- really warm um, sort of environment in Bondi, which is where Mbappe's from. Uh, then I'm trying to think. We went to uh, Genk and we we had that chat with uh, Michel Ribeiro, who uh, is the technical coach at Genk, who has worked with Kevin De Bruyne, Thibaut Courtois, many others, Leandro Trossard. Uh, he was really really engaging guy. Uh, and then yeah, we're on to Amsterdam now. We're going to Cologne later today, uh, and then Frankfurt, where. We should be getting an interview with a World Cup winner, someone who scored a winning goal in a, in a World Cup final. I think you can maybe guess. We've given you a few hints, uh, given the Frankfurt location. Uh, and then we're on to uh, Zurich, Milan. Uh, I'm trying to think. There's more places. But yeah, keep, you can keep in touch. Hopefully we don't lose anything else. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a reference to the camera going missing, which uh, is probably a story for another day. Remember, if you're not a subscriber and you want to keep up with Laurie's journey, you can subscribe now to The Athletic and pay just £1 a month for the first six months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Wow, what a draw then for Manchester United. Barcelona <laughs> in the playoffs for the knockout stages of the Europa League. Undoubtedly looking at the rest of the ties is the pick of the bunch. Uh, but also Shakhtar Donetsk are in there up against uh, Rennes from France. And now's the time to tell you about the Athletic's brand new documentary podcast series, Away From Home. Adam Crafton and the team were granted access all areas to Shakhtar during their Champions League campaign, played in the shadow of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, of course. It's a truly remarkable series. And if you like what you hear, the first three episodes are out now. Search for Away From Home wherever you get your podcasts. Here's a little teaser. Can, can can you hear me okay? Yes, yes, yeah. of course. You can ask ask question. I try to answer. Sure. So, so I suppose to, just to begin, can you explain the past couple of days how how you are, and also if your family is okay? First of all. Yes. Uh, uh, in in the morning of twenty uh, fourth of of the February, we woke walked up after the uh, uh, sounds of bombs. And uh, went to basement. This is the captain of Ukrainian football club Shakhtar Donetsk. His name is Taras Stepanenko, and he's one of the most famous footballers in his country. He was born before the collapse of the Soviet Union, 
He played over 70 times for Ukraine, and he's been with his club since 2010. I called him as war broke out to learn what was happening firsthand. Multiple attacks on cities right across uh, the country. Uh, the foreign minister, uh, Dmitry Kuleba, uh, has, has just tweeted that uh, the country is under full-scale invasion uh, by Russia. I have a wife and three sons. One uh, seven years, one eight and one four. Okay. What do you tell them? scared so much and we, we started to read news but my my son they i think they uh, they don't uh, understand clearly what happened now i think they they they're scared too stepanenko's life changed like so many other ukrainians did when russia invaded the country in early 2022 but six months on unlike most men his age he's fortunate enough to do his normal job again, to play football and to play in the Champions League, where the best teams from across the continent face off to be crowned kings of Europe. For Ukraine, football is more than a sport now. It's a unifier. It's a statement to the world that they are strong. And Shakhtar Donetsk is the embodiment of that sentiment. We are showing all the world that, uh, that uh, we are still alive. Nothing cannot kill us. We are in the war for 2014. It will be difficult to play, but we must play. Unfortunately, we are thinking just about Ukraine now. And uh, if this fucking bastard from Russia think that we will stop to play because of that, we will not stop to play. We'll play and we will win. For The Athletic, I'm Adam Crafton. Over the course of this series, I'll be tracking Shakhtar's unique football journey as they navigate their way through football's toughest contest, all whilst there's a brutal war raging on their doorstep, forcing them out of their own country. You didn't sleep, you, you cannot sleep. Three days, three days without sleep. I'm proud that I'm part of this team, of this club, and today we can be proud because this victory is for Ukrainian people, for Ukrainian citizens. It's not only about football now, it's about to show that uh, to show that we are fighting that we are still alive <laughs> this is away from home episode 1 we believe in miracles okay i suppose we have to do it don't we here's Buendia. and it rockets It had been going quite well of late, hadn't it? Until uh, United rocked up at Villa Park on Sunday, a ground where they've got so many happy memories. Just looking out across that pitch, I can see myself as a young man in the stands watching United win games in the Premier League, in the FA Cup semi-finals, any competition they ever played at Villa Park. But yesterday, the scoreline was exactly the same as 1995, Andy, wasn't it? That was the last time United had got beat there before Sunday. It was. I was at the game in 95 and nobody could see that coming. And 
the reaction after that game in 95 was as, as despondent as Alan Hansen said on TV that night. United fans really were saying, you're not going to win anything with kids, but they weren't saying it on national television at the time. I was really disappointed with the performance and obviously the result at Villa Park from Manchester United. I know there were injuries. Uh, I know um, it came after a, a trip to Spain and Manchester United stayed in Spain on Friday. They actually trained at Alaves's training ground, but it was really, really disappointing. And Villa were motivated. I'm sure we're going to go into the details why they had the new manager who we've discussed. Unai Emery is a very good manager, but you go 2-0 down inside 10 minutes and it's very, very difficult to come back from that. And we can talk about individuals. I was so disappointed with several individuals for Manchester United. We'll get to that, definitely. Yeah, Unai Emery made an instant impact, didn't he, at Villa Park? He'd only arrived on Tuesday, but you could see that team in his image straight away. Players motivated to play under the new manager. I spoke to Jacob Ramsey after the game, who managed to get a goal, an assist, win a foul for the free kick, and also score an own goal um, in that game at Villa Park yesterday. He didn't know whether to laugh, cry, or be sick. Um, but in terms of United, Carl, um, you were there like I was. They started so slowly. I mean, Andy referenced it there but I think they'd arrived back in the end um, late on Friday after doing the training at, at Alaves and it was seven o'clock in the evening they were back to training then uh, on on the Saturday at midday traveled straight away after that to Birmingham they looked like they were still in a hotel room somewhere didn't they when the game kicked off oh yeah they, they were sleepwalking through those early sections Luke Shaw after the game said uh, they they just started far too slowly and it was that thing of they got done. They really got done. You know, there is, we've spoken before about how United are a work in progress, but even when they do perfect the style of football 10 hog once, there's going to be two or three weaknesses. And I think, you know, Emery had, you know, has knowledge of how to exploit that style of football and just had a good game plan, tore them apart. Uh, Ollie Watkins in the mix zone yesterday was really interesting where he, he basically sounded shocked by how much extra structure Unai brought in in just a short space of time. He said, you know, Villa had a plan to build from the back a little bit more, suck the opponent in. Uh, whereas on the, the previous management, all he really had to do was, uh, you know, chase down long balls and, and headed passes. But yeah, it was, it was a naive game plan for Manchester United. And I think the second half was just a damp squib. Yeah, it was annoying, wasn't it? After they got themselves back in the game at the end of the second half to then concede again early in the in the second period. Carl, you've written about it on The Athletic, the absence of Bruno Fernandes and Manchester United struggling without him. It's not often we play without him, to be fair, in any competition, let alone the Premier League. But it, it, just his creativity and his risk and his control and his leadership. Yeah, I agree. He was badly missed, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. Ten Hag went for Donny van der Beek as the number 10. Um, Marcus Rashford play on the right hand side uh, so one real change uh, in, in Rashford coming in but Donny van der Beek is not a Bruno Fernandes deputy his strengths are off the ball movement um, whereas Bruno Fernandes is an on ball creator most of the time he can be an off the ball runner but his big thing is give it Bruno and Bruno will spray it everywhere uh, so you had Donny van der Beek peeling out from the number 10 position trying to go left and right you had Christian Eriksen pushing up from the number eight position. Uh, so you've got Casemiro as your deepest line midfielder, just having so much space to manage. And basically any time Ericsson went forward, 
Ramsey took used that as an invitation to push forward up and join Ollie Watkins. There was also a short goal kick routine that Aston Villa did over and over and over and over again. So uh, Emmy Martinez to Tyrone Mings, and then when Mings got the ball, uh, Emmy Buendia would come in from the left hand side, uh, and Diogo Dallo would follow him every single time, not realizing it would just open up loads of space for Lucadinha on the overlap. And you just go in. If Bruno was there. I don't necessarily like the way Bruno can shout and scream and moan, but Bruno being able to shout and scream and moan and tell Dallo, calm down, what you're doing would be quite useful. Yeah, I also think Bruno, if Bruno Fernandes was there, I think Manchester United would have realised that their wall was not 10 yards back. If if Bruno Fernandes wouldn't have been shouting and screaming and moaning, he wouldn't have missed the match because he's picked up so many Good point. bookings for True. descent and... And he was missed. Delo did as well yesterday as well, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and and he's someone who's you know been been playing all the time. Uh, you mentioned Donny. I I just cannot see what he brings to Manchester United. I don't like to pile onto a player, but there was a stage about a year ago when we as journalists were getting hammered online for not asking the manager of Manchester United whether it was Ollie and then it was Michael Carrick and it was Ralph Rangnick. Why don't you ask him about Donny every single week? And yet, they were being asked almost every single week. And Donny van der Beek was being largely overlooked. I think the game at Villa was his first Premier League start in, in, in almost two years. And I would love it to work out for him. But I have seen no evidence whatsoever that he is going to be good enough to play for Manchester United. He looked absolutely lost. And whether his confidence is down or not, it, it's tough at the top. And Andy, what do you think Eric Ten Hag saw in that game against Real Sociedad to give him the faith that that playing Van der Beek at Villa Park was was the right plan? Considering you had Fred and McTominay sat on the bench, who who've been good at times this season and in the past, of course. I think it was a defensive move because uh, to lift his confidence, to give the guy a chance, the guy who wants to play football, to say, okay, you've got a chance. Here's your chance. Now we've got um, injuries, but I, I disagree with the decision. Even before the game, I've just not seen Donny van der Beek do enough in a Manchester United shirt at any point since he joined for Ajax. And I've said it before on this podcast, I go right back to that very first chat I had with people at United after he'd signed, and I came out of that phone call thinking, they don't know why they've signed this player. It's like they brought him to bolster the squad up. For me, it was he was available. He was available at, at the right price and at the right time when there was a lot of criticism that Manchester United had not signed players and, and Ed Woodward um, brought him in. And I, I would wish for Donny van der Beek to have a successful career in football. I'm sure he's a nice person, but it, it's, it's just not working out for him at Manchester United. And we, we, we can judge him away against Villa, but we can judge him at home against Watford in the FA Cup as well when you've got, you've got to be standing out. I'm sorry, he's, he brings... Almost nothing to Manchester United's team. It's it's really difficult to see how Donny van der Beek, how his strengths would work with a Man United team that is in is a work in process. Uh, he needs to play in a team that can dominate possession and keep the ball in the final third for long periods of time. But United aren't necessarily don't necessarily have those players yet, and also he's not like Andy said he's not really shown anything to justify putting him in a team when the team even achieves that level, he's not done anything to justify that he should be the number 10 when Bruno Fernandes is doing very good things with a not-so-great team. 
It's really difficult. I think at halftime, more than one person in the press room believed Donny van der Beek would get substituted and Christian Eriksen would get moved to number 10 and sort of move Fred and Casemiro. Uh, and that Ten Hag waited until the 65th minute to make a triple change. Okay, you know, the third goal would have changed your game plan and whatnot. But Has Eriksen ever quite been surprised. the number 10 under Ten Hag? I can't remember it this season. He's always kept him in that position, hasn't he? That number eight position. Yeah, I th- I think he wants to keep Ericsson in those deeper positions to help with ball progression because as as we've t- spoken before about the the oddity of good Fred and bad Fred, I think Ericsson is a little bit more reliable as a number eight. But also Ericsson, Ericsson looked tired. Uh, and we've spoken before on this podcast about how, especially in those the latter stage of the second half, Ericsson just cannot run with the same verve he used to. So, yeah, I think Ten Hag, obviously the squad is depleted by injury and suspension but that was a starting 11 that didn't have much bite to it I think that front four was a particularly poor front front, front four uh, and then the waiting until the 65th minute to make changes sort of felt slow I'm not going to call it a weakness but I think an area of thought or an area of concern for, for Eric Ten Hag is that he can be slower than you'd want when reacting to tactical things the opposition manager has done. And actually, I thought he was quicker than he needed to be against Real Sociedad away in making in making the changes uh, to try and chase chase the tie. Um, let's talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, Andy. Um, I was sort of stretching my neck as far around a corner as I could to listen to Ten Hag's pre-match to explain why Ronaldo was the choice to be captain considering the previous Premier League away away game he'd been left out of the squad for disciplinary reasons and he basically said that Harry Maguire's on the bench Bruno Fernandes is banned um, Casimiro doesn't speak good enough English yet and we want to play in the opposition's half so David De Gea will be too far away from the play which wasn't exactly a ringing endorsement for Ronaldo to wear the captain's armband. But more importantly, his performance level again. I'm going to say it now, I'm alarmed at how steep the drop-off has been from last season for Cristiano. I don't think it's necessarily about the physical output or anything like that, but it's when a chance comes, when an opportunity comes, that that sharpness, that that bloody-minded killer that he was when he had chances in the past. What's happened? You should be alarmed. Alarmed is the right word. I think there was a header which went straight towards the goalkeeper. This isn't Cristiano Ronaldo. Last season, no matter how he was playing, he was at least scoring and assisting. Look at his stats for this season. He scored one league goal. He's not made one assist. They're absolutely horrendous. He got. Um, he scored a couple of times for Portugal. He scored against uh, Sheriff. The only team he scored against for Manchester United this this season. Is, is Sheriff, home and away. He's made assists against um, Ammonia Nicosia. That beautiful assist, to be fair to him, in San Sebastian a couple of days previous. But look, let's not kid anybody. It, it, even when Edinson Cavani was playing last year, I know he was injured. His impact was clear when he came on during matches, when he started matches. And I know he became a, a joke of a figure himself because he missed so many matches, but... Cristiano Ronaldo is is bringing almost nothing to Manchester United, and I don't think Marcus plays in his best position when he when he played out to the right. Garnacho, you've got to cut him some slack. There were times when he'd run at Matty Cash, but he'd show him a little bit too much of the ball, and ultimately the move would break down there. 
And then look who's behind him. You've got Danny van der Beek who brings nothing. And so look at them, four most advanced Manchester United players bringing very, very little. Uh, a team who surged into a 2-0 lead with a very tactically astute manager. It was always going to be difficult from there. But if you look at you know, Villa last season, it was a 2-all. United actually went into a 2-0 lead there. That was probably uh, Alanga's best game. That was just after Rangnick had come. And Bruno and Alanga had a the best re- player on the pitch, ironically as well, wasn't it? Yeah, and Br- Bruno and him had a really good um, yeah. com- combination as well. But it's pretty alarming. The goals have dried up for Manchester United. And Manchester United have got... I went back into having a, a negative goal difference. This isn't good enough by by a long, long minus stretch. Um, or oh, minus one, yeah. Yeah, and, and I know you take out a player like Varane, you're going to absolutely miss him. And the absences become more deeper when you see them um, not there. But Cristiano Ronaldo has been really, really poor. And it's been a poor season for him. He wanted to leave the club. And I, I'm not comfortable being so critical because he's been probably the best player I've ever seen at Manchester United. But he wanted to leave the club. He was, he was set on leaving the club in the summer. But the offers didn't come in for him. So I think Eric Ten Hag has dealt with it well. I didn't really object to him being captain. If that could almost no. light a match for him to be, OK, we've had our little bumps along the way, but now I've found form again and I've just scored an absolute screamer against Villa because he had a brilliant record against Villa as well when he played for Manchester United. But nah, absolutely nothing from too many of those players. And the end result is a 3-1 defeat against a team who couldn't get a win and sack the manager. So, uh, one thing that was really noticeable in the first half was the amount of crosses Manchester United tried getting in for Ronaldo. Uh, I asked Eric Ten Hag at full time, I said, you, know, you did a lot of crosses in the first half. Was this a way to try and capitalise on Ronaldo's aerial ability? And he just went, no, that was stupid. We shouldn't have done that. Uh, and described his frustration at just whipping in. If I was wearing glasses, I'd have fallen off my head. Did your eyebrows um, go all the way up to and, the hairline? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he just went, no, that was stupid. Uh, and then he described his frustration at the quickness of the cross. So he said, we rushed things too often. Um, and, and there was never a right, mo- we didn't wait for the right moment to get those crosses in. Uh, and then I asked him, I said, well, did you make a point of it at halftime? Uh, and he said, no, not really. They just kept doing it. Uh, and there was only a point, uh, there was one instance where Christian Eriksen sort of put his foot on the ball, waited for the correct time, and then went for the back post uh, in the first half. And that's when Ronaldo had the headed shot that Martinez saved with his feet, which is... When Cristiano Ronaldo was in Juventus, the consensus was playing Ronaldo was like having 10 men uh, or you know, 10 players when you're defending, nine outfielders, shall we say. But the, the benefit of having Ronaldo was you, you were a goal up because he was still getting those goals. At this point in time, he's not getting the shots off. If you do want to have him in the side, you've got to stop playing it to his feet and you do have to start pumping in crosses because that's the thing he's best at. He's not that final line presence and he's not creating space for other players it just causes a sort of traffic jam because they're all trying to feed Ronaldo and even when Ten Hag is telling them don't feed Ronaldo I think a lot of these players look up and go oh god it's Ronaldo if I don't give him the ball I'm going to get an earful later on so that's going on as well uh, and then Ronaldo he drops deep and it goes into those half spaces and he he doesn't have the passing range to be useful it is very frustrating when he drops deep because he's not helping it, it's I don't know, if you ever play a game of fives and, and your best striker is dropping deep and you're like, no, no, get up there, what are you doing? But even then, he's, he's not even getting those shots off in the way you want. He's It's not... He's now played 40 full 90 minutes since 
the disciplinary action against Chelsea. And those games have not been good. They have not been good team performances for Manchester United. Uh, and I would hope that the 25-minute cameo Anthony Martial had against Aston Villa is a sign that he can play 90 minutes against Fulham because if Martial can play 90 minutes or if Martial can play an hour you got to go for that over playing this version of Cristiano Ronaldo yeah he might play in the League Cup against Aston Villa this week as well we'll preview that game in a moment just, just staying on Ronaldo for a second Andy do you think it could be a confidence thing with him because he's a player who's been fuelled by his belief throughout his career. His belief almost felt unbreakable. But when you've had a summer sort of fluttering your eyelashes at the top teams in Europe and no one's eventually come in with a, a firm offer for you, when you've got a manager who perhaps doesn't quite think that you're the perfect piece of the jigsaw for his attack, when you've got he's got to come to the acceptance that your body can't do what it did before, when you're not a yard quicker than everyone, when you're not able to jump an inch higher than everyone else where every shot you hit is not absolutely perfect. Do you think it is confidence? Well, it's human. So I think it's a factor. You're starting to see now Lionel Messi talking about times where his confidence was down and at the time he would be like, I keep everything to myself, I self-motivate and and Ronaldo is, is, you know, he's, He's got a huge ego, but he, he sort of fuels that into himself to make him better and better and better. But he is also human. At some point, he's not going to be top, top, top. And that point is now because we are seeing his form fall off a cliff this season. Is last season? Well, that's the thing. It, it's fallen off a cliff, hasn't it? That, yeah. That's when I said before about being alarmed. <laughs> I'm going to Go pause on. there. There's been a decline in Ronaldo's ever since he left Real Madrid, and it you know it sort of in his it performance was, it was level very in, slow in his country overall contribution and physical output. Yes, but can't argue with that goal record last season, Carl. Can you? I, I think I can. He had the longest goals. He had the longest goal drought in his career in over a decade between January and March. Right. So that was that was the first big. He can't really. He's not running at the pace he used to. There was a point in the the game against Brighton. In both of the games against Brighton around the new year, I remember texting Andy Naylor, a Brighton reporter, and I, I remember going, is McAllister quick? Because he's caught up Ronaldo awfully soon. Uh, and and Mr. Naylor said, well, not particularly. And I went, oh, that's alarm bells. And I've gone through my old copy from last season, and there are two or three bits where I've gone, Ronaldo's not running the same way he used to. He's not. He wasn't getting the shots off in the same way he used to, but he was... He was Cristiano Ronaldo. He, he's done. He scored so many goals, and he, there's sort of a force of repetition there that his superior technique was able to compensate for the decline in physical output. I think this season the balance has just swung off. I think he's he's not shooting well, and he's also being prone to more and more of just petulance. Is is the only way I can describe it. it, it partway, yeah. So that, that this game wasn't televised in UK television. This game wasn't available for UK broadcast, but there was a point where he has a fracas with Tyrone Mings. I, I can't, for the life of me, understand what. He just sort of grabs him and has a big old grapple. He gets a booking for it. It goes to the VAR check. And it was one of those things of going, well, if you're getting sent off here, it's your own fault. And again, I know we know why Ten Hag gave him the captaincy. That was not something you, you know, if you bear in mind the things Ten Hag has said about rules and standards and demand, that is not the sort of behaviour Ten Hag wants from his Manchester United captain. It was, it's getting to a point where it is no longer feasible. And I don't even think it's a Manchester United thing. 
there's a reason why a number of those clubs didn't make a bid for Cristiano Ronaldo in the summer because the sort of clubs that can have Cristiano Ronaldo in this state in their first 11 already have strikers that can do more things than Cristiano Ronaldo now. In, tw- in 2022, in the calendar year now, I think he's scored in 10 games. And some of those games have been hat-tricks, some of those games have had braces, but he, the, the spread is just not good. He scored, he scored nine goals in his last eight games of last season for United, which was what I was referring to before when I said, you know, about the drop-off. But you're right, you know, I, I, I think we have been discussing increasingly from maybe the midpoint of last season what Ronaldo's offering, what he's contributing, even before this season. Andy? He's going to be 38 when Manchester United play Barcelona in the Europa League, if he's still at Manchester United. Forwards are judged by how many goals that that they score. They just are. And he's always been extremely proud when he was scoring. I remember them seasons at Madrid, 55, 51, 61, 51. And of course he was going to decline. And his first season in Italy when he got 28, I think reports of his complete demise were exaggerated because he scored 37 and 36. But last season he scored 24 goals. And that by and large was seen as a success. He scored three goals this season so far two of them against a Moldovan side, that it is a massive, massive drop-off. And it's not nice to see it, but we are seeing it. And Manchester United are weaker with him, with him in the side. If you look at players who played in his position uh, to that age, take Teddy Sheringham, for example. He wasn't about pace and power like Cristiano Ronaldo. He was almost like a playmaker. Ironically, the best move I've seen Ronaldo do this season was in San Sebastian when he dropped back he can still play them beautiful balls he can still play um, wonderful passes but when that header went straight at the goalkeeper at Aston Villa I just thought this is this isn't Ronaldo this, this is you know I know it's easy to be uh, someone on the sideline saying you should do this but you use the word alarming and I'm going to keep using it because it is alarming and I said a few weeks ago, I hope we can still get something from Ronaldo this season. And a lot of United fans were going, no, no, it's gone. It's done, he's done. He's got to go. The fact is, he's got a contract to stay at Manchester United. There are injuries to the forward players and he's going to continue to feature. And maybe there will be a final flourish. But it doesn't look good at the moment. Let's move it on then. Let's talk about something else because we've got to go through it all again against Aston Villa uh, in the League Cup this week. I mean, we've, we've timed this perfectly, Carl, haven't we, these two matches? Yeah, the real Emery upswing. Uh, Ten Hag mentioned at full time it was difficult to predict how Aston Villa would play because the structure they had last you know, on the Stephen Gerrard had gone out the window. Uh, and if Emery repeats the same method, you know, playing. It was a. It was a very. It was a four-four-two similar to how Emery's Villarreal played, um, which I know that sort of mere mention will give Andy the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> um, but I think I can't see Ten Hag rotating too much, if only because he needs to build some small sense of momentum before things finish for the World Cup. Mm. Well, actually, that, that Europa League draw means that the League Cup might be slightly more important as well because getting to the last stage of that competition is even harder after that draw. So the League Cup, if, you, if you're if you going to go for a trophy in your first year, 
maybe gets prioritised a little bit more, possibly. Maybe I'm I'm pushing the narrative a bit. I think if you ask Ten Hag about this, he'll give you his uh, stock, we want to win every game reply. Yes. Andy, how important is the League Cup to United? I think if Manchester United won the League Cup this year, there would be no complaints from 40,000, 50,000 United fans going down to Wembley because... It's about the cup. Remember when we used it's to do that? Trophies. Yeah, I do. Remember that? Yeah, it was great. Remember a time when we called it Wembley, um, Old Trafford South because we were going there that often. <laughs> those great trips to London, those London weekends for, for matches. Uh, I, I, I think it's well worth winning. And I know it is the least important of the competitions that Manchester United are going to be in. I know that we'll probably meet Manchester City in the semi-finals and get knocked out again. But I still think United should be going on and trying to win it. And that one gave me the heebie-jeebies. <laughs> Carl, you were saying about the, the game plan that Villa had and how United struggled against it and Ten Hag not, not realising it was coming maybe uh, at the weekend. He's going to realise it's coming this time. Do you think he's going to drastically change United's approach? I and mean, you sort of hinted that maybe there won't be wholesale changes in the lineup. but what do you think they can do differently? We've already discussed that he's reluctant to move Christian Eriksen up at the 10, but I think that's quite sensible we might see another session of Fred at the number 10 indeed just not bring Bruno back uh, well I'm sure if you ask him nicely he'll give you 90 minutes <laughs> uh, I think yeah it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see how he balances things I think Bruno comes back as a 10 that might also open the window up slightly for Marcus Rashford to go as the number 9 again uh, I think Garnacho's done okay on the left hand side and if Alanga is an option on the right if you want to rotate a little bit but uh, yeah I think it'll be as close to full strength against Aston Villa because I can't imagine I I imagine Aston Villa will go as close to full strength in the same way Can we just finish this talking about Marcus Rashford if possible because there's a brilliant article on The Athletic that you've both contributed to on Marcus I mean considering Carl, that he's United's most informed forward at the minute, it, it, it didn't make much sense to push him to the right wing, did it? Because he's been great up front, he's been great on the left, and he never seems quite the same on the right. So it, it, see, I know we've got players missing and whatever else, but to put your most informed player out of position and, and severely weaken your attack in doing so, I don't think he's going to be doing that again in the League Cup, is he? I don't think so either. I've been I've been an advocate of Rashford on the right hand side on this podcast previously because I went you know it, it reduces his want to cut inside and shoot. But Ten Hag struck a very disappointed tone at full time. He said Rashford played on the right hand side because of the injuries that were currently going on, and then he said in his belief he believes Marcus is best off as the number nine or on the left hand side. So yeah, I think Rashford right will be that will be the end of that experimentation, and Alanga will be the preferred option on the right, which can work. I'm pulling her face as I'm saying this. I hope you can pick up the way I put a question mark there. It can work. And yeah, we you're might, doing one of those faces, have, Carl, yeah. Jaden Sancho might be back for it. You know, he's, he's a, a for, forgotten name, but at some point he's going to start playing again and the, there are more important games than League Cup matches at Old Trafford to, to bring a player in. I, I know just before we have, I do want to bring up Aston for the second goal, the free kick, as it was quite bizarre how that went about Ten Hag said he there was a mistake there for Manchester United because they they set the wall too deep so when the free kick happens you know Luke Shaw has a sort of cynical tackle gets himself a book I missed it so the wall's uh, not 10 yards back It's it was more than that was it 
So Aston, Aston Villa's players stand 10 yards back behind the free kick and then Manchester United set up another wall behind that. So the wall, and I didn't, I didn't notice this watching it in Villa Park because it's all sort of, I'm watching it from a certain angle. Um, and it's only when I watched another replay and saw images this morning, I went, that, how have they done that? They've absolutely fleeced us. Something else that was quite interesting was when this wall is being, when the Aston Villa wall is being set up, Emmy Martinez, the Villa goalkeeper, crosses past the halfway line, stands 20 yards behind Luca Dina, and he's shouting some form of instruction. He's sort of doing, doing the goalkeeper left-right angle, talking with his shirt down. I'm not entirely sure if he's given instructions to the Aston Villa wall or if he's giving Dina advice on any weaknesses of David De Gea's form from this free kick. It is one of the most interesting things I've seen in the league in the last couple of weeks. And it, it, it just speaks that just Villa had a game plan that you not, were not ready for and just did a job on them in those first 15 minutes. Very weird situation. Uh, if you can watch the highlights of of that game or on YouTube or whatever, I like, really recommend you check out that second goal as, yeah, Villa are streetwise now. Scary. Using players who Manchester United have overlooked. Remember they had a chance of signing Luca Dean. No thanks. Ollie Watkins when he was at Brentford. Manchester United said we'll monitor it no we'll, we'll pass on that and Manchester United will monitor loads and loads of players but Villa looks so motivated against Manchester United I know we've been quite despondent but it might and hopefully will just be a blip these were always going to happen under Eric Ten Hag you know, nine, nine games unbeaten is really impressive some great performances the best one was against uh, Tottenham at Old Trafford other teams do drop points as well I found myself looking for the first time on Sunday to see how Newcastle United were going on and I thought I've not done that since like 1995 so that shows the threat that that they are becoming it would be a shame to lose the advantage over Liverpool because at some point they're likely to get themselves in gear I think a top four should be the aim for Manchester United this season I think City and Arsenal increasingly are looking like they can um put a decent uh, title challenge in. So United have got to be getting serious runs of form together. And given that, uh, that there's that really bad start, United have not really been above fifth and sixth and fifth and sixth. We've got to get established into that top four and should have beaten Aston Villa. But Fulham, who've, who've found form themselves, actually, so pretty unlucky for Manchester United. But look, come on, look at the players who United have got. United should really be getting some decent results and going into that World Cup in a, a better place than we're feeling this morning after that defeat to Villa. Yeah, amen to that, definitely. Right, thank you, Andy, for joining us. Thank you, Carl, as well. I hope you've enjoyed that episode of Talk of the Devils. It was uh, a little bit like therapy again. We've not had one of them for a while, so it was good to get everything off our chest. Remember, there's lots of great Manchester United coverage on The Athletic right now, and you can subscribe for just £1 a month for the first six months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But thank you for being with us and we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye. The Athletic.